FIS Castaway, the podcast keeping you in the know about the shipping and commodity world. To keep up to date, sign up to our FIS Live app at www.fis-live.com or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Welcome back to Castaway, FIS's freight and commodity podcast. It is Wednesday the 31st of March on a hazy London morning. Uh, it was very nice yesterday, but it's not quite so nice today. Uh, and this week I am joined by our container guru, Peter. And so we're going to go through our usual news update and markets before having a little bit of a spot highlight on what's been happening in the series, of course, the big news of the week. So what else has happened this week? Well, China announced sanctions against several European countries after a coordinated declaration of sanctions by America, Britain, Canada and the EU on four Chinese officials involved in the persecution of the Uyghurs. Uh, Joe Biden uh, put Kamala Harris, Vice President Kamala Harris, in charge of coordinating efforts with Mexico, El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras to reduce the flow of migrants across the US-Mexico border. Despite boasting the best vaccination program in South America, Chile went back into lockdown. Spectators from overseas were banned from the Tokyo Olympics, which due to start in July. Saudi Aramco's annual profit and uh, net profit fell by almost half to $49 billion, but it was still intended to pay a dividend. And of course, the big news of the week was, of course, the blockage in the Suez Canal by the ever given vessel. So what about our market segment so far? Uh, week to week. So this is Tuesday 23rd versus Tuesday the 30th yesterday. Brent, we saw a small increase uh, ending 64.21 up 3.1%. The Rotterdam 3.5%, the high sulfur fuel oil up 2%. And the SING 380 up 1.8%, that was 36.445, the SING. On the 0.5s, smaller increase, 1.9% on the ROC 0.5%, up to 448.84. And the SING 0.5%, 467.84, up 1.8%. Uh, the high fives, that's the difference between the very low sulfur fuel oil and the high sulfur fuel oil. Uh, very small change there, 96 and 97 on the high five, and the SING high five, 102 to 103, around about 1% up. In terms of the freight indexes, Cape 5 TC, uh, we had moved from 19,114 to 18,382, and the Panamax 4TC, 25,510 to 23,171. So both off 3% Cape, 9% on the Panamax. Iron ore, we saw a nice little move up, uh, plus 6% on 65%, ending 195, and the 62% grade at 166.55, up from 156.35. Last week, that's up 6.5%. And to finish off those indexes, the tankers, TC2 down 3%, Ending 154.17. TC5, that was up 6%, 137.50. T3C, also up uh, into the mid 30s, 34.42, 7.4%. And TD25, off again, down 16%, down to 70. So, going to a few of those products that uh, we cover here at FIS before going on to our main feature on the Canal, of course. Uh, oil and products, we did see a slight gain on Monday off the market. Expects that these outputs by OPEC will be, be held. Um, we saw that at the start of the month falling below $61, about hitting 70 at the beginning of the month. So we have that decision coming tomorrow with OPEC meet, ministers meeting, and there is the high expectation that these will be rolled over with a lot of the other concerns they have in terms of supply and demand, especially after that. It was about 8% fall we had. Uh, reported, um, I think it was last podcast as well. So they obviously got concerns in terms of keeping the price as high as possible. The news that we mentioned about Saudi Aramco and their profits. So it would be quite surprising to see any sort of other change uh, in that market apart from 
uh, a rollover of what currently is the situation. In the fuel oil market, we're seeing a demand for high sulfur fuel oil in South Asia continues uh, as power generation and industrial demand increases, uh, with India and Pakistan each securing spot cargo via tender for the first half of April, according to traders in the market. It is also expected that Singapore will be able to see demand for fuel oil in the short term with 3.5 million metric tons of product in land storage, uh, as well as up to 3 million in floating storage. Again, weighing on those prices was also the, the dollar, which pushed higher on Tuesday, uh, yesterday, as it helped to kind of bring, recover some losses from the trading the day before. So, But you know, a stronger dollar does keep uh, a cap on the, the gains on certain products for the crude. In terms of wet lift phase, we saw a relatively short-lived event in the market, which is uh, having an effect on Balmo and April contracts, according to what's been happening in the Suez Canal. Spot market on Tuesday, the 23rd, reacted to the news, seeing effects on TC2 due to the buildup of congestion of vessels in the Med uh, to the north of the canal. And spot jumped 23.5 points to 150 world scale on Tuesday, climbing continuing to climb up to 195 on Friday and now coming up gradually as things are starting to ease up now that the canal blockage has been eased. On the paper side, Tuesday saw TC6 Balmo open world scale 145, trading all the way up to 165 in the same session and during the week went from 147 up to 159, but now back to the low 140 levels. The other routes that have been affected were TD20, the Suez Max uh, not really seeing any action on the paper until Thursday the 25th, where April saw trading up to about world scale 68, then to world scale 78, uh, and then again to 82 and a half the next day. But now we have dropped back down to, to levels in the mid-60s. Spot wasn't as volatile as TC6, only moving up 10 points uh, from world scale 70 to 80 on the week now, but dro dropping back off to those normal levels in the 70s. The story on iron ore, otherwise, has been relatively flat end to the week that we saw last week. Um, but we did have some positive news, but that didn't seem to filter through into much of the market until um, this week. We did see that rebar futures and steel margins continue to make new highs. So that steel margin is now around about 1000 RMB. Remember, we were talking about this previous, well, it must be several weeks ago, we were talking about negative Margins for the for those steel mills really starting to impact the market, but that does seem to have recovered back to uh, healthy, positive levels again. On Thursday, rebar production went up about 1.47% that week. So that was around to 3.52 million tonnes, but the total inventory was down 3.88% to 17.26 million tonnes. So it does seem to indicate that there is coming forward uh, a robust steel consumption in China as we start to hit that construction season. Friday, we saw steel stocks decline for a fifth consecutive week. Uh, this is according to data from MySteel. Total mills inventory were down 3.3% uh, to 8.9 million metric tons, while Chinese retail steel stock was also down 4.7% to 31.3 million. Uh, and all these are pointing towards that consumption, which comes usually in that uh, construction season, manufacturing construction season uh, in April and May. So that has definitely given a lot of support to prices. Uh, and you can see that reflected in the index week on week, although the end of last week was fairly fairly flat going into the weekend. We're also seeing good support from what's happening in the US with the Biden administration's plan for around about $3 trillion of infrastructure spending. 
On the drive face, uh, a rather static week. If you saw the news in terms of the canal and things and you put money on what was going to be happening, you would have thought there'd be probably more significant movements on what happening. But the paper seemed to not react too much apart from what happened on Thursday. We did definitely have a pop uh, in prices on the Thursday. April capes were stuck around about the 20 to 22,000 range with a pop of Thursday going up to around 24,000. Um, rates in the Pacific continue to improve as coal and iron ore volumes increase uh, and a number of TC fixtures were reported at, at higher levels. Uh, the C3 picture looks increasingly tight for May dates, um, but with returns at current C3 levels showing dismal returns compared to the Pacific, it does sound like uh, any sound owner will, will stay in the Pacific with the potential for C3 rates to rise rapidly uh, with a very, very real possibility and with the paper market pricing in some significant gains to come. Monday early trading on prompt capes was very erratic due to all these news, news that we're having in the canal. Uh, and that was kind of a picture of what was happening in the dry markets generally. Quite erratic trading, but if you look week to week, there's not a huge amount of change compared to some of the, the ones that we've been having in, in recent weeks on the market. So relatively quiet, even though in many markets that kind of percent movement would definitely start uh, to have a, a lot of interest from people. On the, the Panamaxes, it was somewhat similar. Naval contract was up to 26,250 before falling back to 20,750 by uh, the end of the week. And after the rate rise in the Suez Canal, we had that similar pop on, on Thursday on things as well. So some things happening on, on the market, a lot of erratic trading. It's definitely been an increase in volume trading this morning um, after somewhat muted end to last week. So definitely something to, to watch out now that the blockage has been cleared and we move into what could be uh, an interesting time for uh, Pacific rates increasing uh, into May. On the fertilizers, we've been hovering going into Q2, but we have seen an incredible movement on Q1 if you've been watching fertilizer prices over the start of this year. Values across the global urea complex are starting to soften now as we, as we go into the new quarter after seeing their prices at the highest level in over four years. The most recent India tender was concluded last week with sellers committing to 1.33 million tonnes. Uh, to RCF at around about $380 per metric ton. The majority of these tons were rumoured to be coming from China, around about 900,000, uh, which was a bearish sign to some, given the trade that we're giving, uh, that there are marginal producers in the market and that this would make tons more available in other fog markets. However, there are fresh rumours that the market this week, that RCF will only take around 850,000 tons, which is a lot lower than the 1.3 million tons that they were expecting to to have to absorb. There seems to be growing concern over how much supply will be available going forward, and most traders are expecting some backwardation in the market going into Q2, Q3. However, they're still bullish, uh, at least in the US market, citing a larger than expected demand due to higher grain prices. If the price curve starts to invert even further, we expect current volatility to persist at seeing it pop after seeing it pop in Q1. So a little bit of a pause before going into the next quarter, but uh, those markets have been quite incredible. And if you want a, a weekly update uh, straight from the fertilizer desk, we are putting up a weekly video from Sunset on, on our LinkedIn page and Twitter as well. If you want to go follow those for a more up-to-date version of what's happening in those fertilizer markets. In terms of scrap, before we go on to our special feature, Turkish scrap prices dipped over March. Mills pulled back amid uh, several offers as recyclers were comfortable to sell around $460. Uh, and so they managed to pull prices down to as low as 415. 
So the market now is inching up with expectation of near-term upsides, but headwinds include the Turkish lira depreciation, rising COVID cases in Turkey, as well as Ramadan, which may soften that domestic market demand. However, mills are trying to compensate with large volume export rebar sales into Asia, as the price of China isn't competitive currently at the moment. So some interesting things happening there in the, the scrap market. I'm sure that there were lots of other interest coming from the steel and the iron ore markets, which have obviously an impact on that going forward with the China Chinese manufacturing season and everything going forward. And also hopefully a confirmation of all that infrastructure spending by the US, which would be a huge injection of, of cash for what has been somewhat lackluster from, from the US recently and could drive a real increase in um, in GDP grow, I know we pointed out previously that the US and China look like, and a lot of those economists feel that these two countries are going to be the most uh, strong coming out of this virus crisis, followed by the rest of the world. Europe still obviously really struggling in things uh, to get over the virus problems. But we have, of course, the big news of the week was the Suez Canal. And I have with us uh, Peter Stallion, who's our container FFA guru, who's going to be talking through, I guess, the news which everyone was talking about, everyone seemed to stop and stare at what was been happening in the in the week. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, you're right. And uh, obviously, it's it's been you know one of a few times this year where container freight has all of a sudden hit their headlines everywhere. Um, obviously, many in the market would have would have seen what happened throughout 2020 in terms of supply and demand, a real capacity crisis on on sea freight, tonnage being booked out at really really high time charter rates. Um, you know, not seen for for ten years. We speak to some of the owners saying, well, we have colleagues that we employ that weren't in the company um, to actually see how they deal with, with these high prices. Um, in terms of the series itself, I mean, obviously attracting a lot of media attention, but really the, the atmosphere in the market has been very much similar to some of the other markets, uh, sort of a wait and see and see how we deal with the, with the tail end of the, of the crisis. The issue has always been that, um, so about 50%, of the canal's traffic is container tonnage. Um, and we all know so that's about $9.6 billion a day, $400 million an hour, 12% of global sea trade goes through the canal. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know, doom saying if the, if the ever given ship was to stay stuck in the canal, what would happen? People transiting by the Cape of Good Hope with the rising fuel costs, um, which as we saw, saw a little bump in the, in the fuel futures price, um, and then that settled back down and now we're back in a sort of a bullish trajectory. Um, but really the, the key issue that's starting to develop now, we've had a few things announced by some of the carriers over the past two days, is, is what this will do to rates in two or three weeks' time. Um, because we know so it's about a 30-day transit from, from Asia to Europe on a standard container vessel. Uh, it depends on, on what the routes are and everything, but that's around the general assessment. Um, you're spending about 225 tonnes of, uh, of fuel per day for a standard 8,000 TEU vessel moving along that route uh, on a 30-day voyage. Uh, current freight rates are obviously very, very high. Um, spot rates hovering around the $7,500 mark for, for Asia to Europe. Um, that's what to consider last year, the start of last year, we'd be talking more about $1,500. So an enormous, enormous change already. And now we've got a situation where carriers like uh, Maersk, so Maersk came out initially yesterday saying they expect a capacity drop of up to 30% in the coming weeks. Uh, and that was on, on Shipping Watch. 
And today, saying through Sea Trade Maritime, reported by them, they are suspending their Maersk spot and short-term contract bookings, um, which is going to have potentially quite enormous impacts in terms of the the demand for capacity with the other carriers, um, because quite a bit a bit of business will inevitably end up on spot, even if there are long-term contracts in place, because people don't know what volumes they'll move. Uh, we've already had situations where low mid-value um, shippers are not shipping cargo at all because they cannot afford the rates that are current levels, um, which has never really happened since uh, since 2008, really, uh, when the prices were shooting up then. Um, so capacity already at a maximum. Uh, Suez Canal has been resolved, but you've got a two-week uh, two delay, essentially, in all of the equipment, all the congestion that already exists in the market. Um, and you're also starting to see sea air freight conversions um, because if you delay a cargo two weeks, all of a sudden everything else becomes a lot more urgent. So uh, a knock-on impact there as well. And this does seem to be an event which is more like a, a ship that launched a thousand memes. And <laughs> my favourite one is the Austin Powers one of him stuck in the corridor, which was brilliant. But to add a bit more context onto what you were saying, Peter, obviously you, you mentioned 12% of global trade passes through it. The canal was opened in 1869 and that voyage around the Cape of, of Good Hope, because you can't get through the canal, saves some 8,900 kilometers, or for those who don't know, kilometers 5,500 miles, or traveling at 24 knots about eight days in terms of, of that. So it is a significant change which has happened. And that is something which is gonna have a knock on effect. You're talking about the problems of going forward, and this has not been a year or even longer than that in terms of container freight. We've had lots of other problems happening uh, in the container freight market, which has seen things, uh, rates rise. We saw ones with people in terms of Brexit with, with rates quadrupling for boxes. And that's something which is adding even more pressure with, with these problems now. Yeah, and um, I think it's important to, to note, although the market is, is inevitably bullish because of uh, because of this incident, at least in the short term, and what Maersk is saying in terms of, of stopping their, their fresh spot bookings, um, it's still very uncertain. You've got uh, a, a relatively quickly rising fuel price. Uh, we have uh, counterparties interested in correlating the container freight rate with fuel demand. Um, container liners are one of the biggest consumers, if not the biggest consumer of fuel out of places like Singapore and Rotterdam. Um, and as I say, they'd be burning, burning on, a, on an 8,000 TU vessel, or roughly 225 tons a day um, in fuel. Um, and the higher the prices, in theory, the, 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 the more demand you'll see in the fuel market. And it becomes less significant, uh, you know, Last year, fuel will be about 50% of cost, up to 50% of cost. This year, around 10% of cost uh, will, be in, will be in fuel. Um, a lot of this is passed on to the consumer anyway in the liner market through uh, bunker adjustment factors. Um, and, and really, that uncertainty clashes with more uncertainty with something like a 15% increase in new shipbuilding orders for the liner market since the start of the year. So that tonnage hits the water around 2022, 23. Um, so even further out, you, you start having a sense of, well, is there going to be another overcapacity crisis in two years time? What's gonna happen there? How long can we maintain these rates? 
Um, the physical contract market on the Asia-Europe route we know about is, is landing around the $4,500 range, which is roughly where we're pricing um, also on the FFA further out. Um, so, so the markets are pretty tied together with the physical transactions, which is really, really good to see. Um, but then there's, there's still enormous amounts of uncertainty. There are also a sense, and this is very anecdotal, um, most of the market will run on something called a named account contract, essentially a fixed price for a fixed customer. Um, and generally speaking, these, these contracts have had a poor record in terms, of, in terms of maintenance of that fixed price. And now we've got again, well, in Q2, will these named account contracts be broken again? Um, because the liner is obviously forced to deal with equipment imbalances, um, forced to deal with circumstantial costs to fulfill a schedule for a customer. So what will that do to how well a liner can fulfill on a contract? And then we again have more people pushed onto the spot rate. So you're dealing with really quite persistent, systematic issues in the market, but everything is under a microscope over the past 16 months. And obviously this is something, an event which I don't think anyone could have predicted and is just an illustration of what can happen in the market. And you've talked now about the, the blockage and the higher, higher rates, the problems that the market's had uh, recently, and then looking forward to that order book, which then, then you know, is a perpetual problem in the freight markets. It seems they seem to be unable to kind of balance that with new builds. When, when the going gets good, let's order loads of them, and then they actually got the nose to spot their face going forward. Exactly. And I think you could you could fill a lake with the amount of black swans we've had over the past 16 months. Um, I think that happens across most of the markets. Oh. And all the, they're all interlinked anyway, as we all know. Um, we started talking about air freight. Now we have the container freight uh, forward agreement product. Um, and for those listening, it might be useful to note we are speaking about uh, some advanced things like clearings for the contract and, and exchanges. So if you're a financial out there or if you're looking to add liquidity to this market, it will. we, we encourage that discussion now because it's, it's getting very interesting. And in terms of the container freight, you know, how do we use these things? So uncertain events completely out of the blue, like a series blockage, other events, the potential for, for rates to, to collapse in two years and for, for owners going, actually, I, I want to lock in these rates. How would they be used to, to do that? So from, from a ship owner's perspective, we saw at least until um, or since June last year, an 88% correlation between uh, the 4,000 TEU uh, time charter price and the main FPX01 uh, China to North America West Coast headhaul price. That means that if you're an owner and you want to uh, secure a bit more certainty over your time charter rates, you can do so by hedging on the underlying box price. That hasn't really been possible uh, against the old SCFI index up until this year. You might say that's because of container liner capacity management, which has been a thing, you know, for 2020 was the main thing. Um, you could say all these liners were all in the same situation when they first started in Q2 last year, and they all dealt with the same situation in the same way because you naturally would do. If you parked your capacity and then demand comes back, you're going to release your capacity in line with that demand. It makes it makes sense. Um, but then it just gets more and more uncertain. And certainly most of the counterparties we speak to, no way at all would they be able to predict this sort of event. Um, the name of the game, as always, and it's really developing quite rapidly in the container market, is, is having a really flush and, and, and 
numerous contracts stack, if you like, between your fixed price physical, your two-way commitment now, your index linked contract, your FFA, and all of this works really well together. You know, if you have a fixed price contract, that doesn't include you from the FFA market. That that gives you a solid basis in which to trade the FFA. And that's been an exciting thing for us. Um, prospectively, the market's enormous. Everyone knows that. Um, so, so the opportunity is there. And I think given indexation has been around for such a long time in the container market now, everyone everyone understands it and it's very logical. It's more a question of, of how we go about it, how do we how we develop it and, and how people use it. Yeah, and it's something which has been very successful in the in the dry market and the tanker market as well. So it's something we can expand to the containers. But uh, if anyone else wants to find any more about that and wants more information, then they can get hold of Peter Peter S at freightinvestor.com. Uh, but Again, thank you very much, Peter, for coming to talk to us about yeah. the event of the, the last six days, well, six or seven days. Exactly, exactly. Um, and for everyone listening, I hope you enjoyed our quick update on markets and join us again next week.